0: Amen. If you'll remain standing now as we read God's word together, this passage from Acts chapter 8, we read of a story of Philip having a conversation with an Ethiopian eunuch. Let us read together God's good word. The eunuch asked Philip, "'About whom may I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else?' Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus.' As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. This evening begins a new sermon series that we're beginning called "Christ for a Change." Uh, if you have your sermon notes, I would invite you to take those out. Um, you notice they're a little different. They do have the scripture on the back, and on the front there is um, a blank part where you can write some notes. I'm going to guide you through that a little bit. And then on the bottom is a prayer that we're going to go through at the end of this sermon. We are very excited to begin this new sermon series called "Christ for a Change." I thought as we begin January as we go through this new year, um, many times we make resolutions, sometimes, uh, many times. They don't always stick. And so what would happen if we actually chose Christ for a change? I don't know if you're like me, but um, every year I feel like I get asked what my New Year's resolutions are going to be, and I always say that I didn't make one. Um, that doesn't mean that I've never made them. Uh, I used to make them a lot, and to be honest, they were pretty lofty. Um, every year I, I would decide that I was going to change some habit and that I was going to sustain that for an entire year. Now to change any habit is a pretty lofty goal. But then to say that you're going to sustain that for an entire year, well, sometimes that's just, uh, it's pretty hard to do. And so every year I would make these goals and and then I wouldn't accomplish them. And then because I felt a little guilty about not accomplishing them, I would kind of go back to those old habits. And I might even overindulge in those old habits because I didn't feel good about myself because I hadn't done the goal that I had set out to do. I don't know if you've done that before. Maybe your goal was to eat healthier for the new year, and then maybe you slipped up once or twice, and then you felt kind of guilty about yourself, and then because you felt guilty, maybe you started eating unhealthier and unhealthier until finally you were worse off than when you started the new year. Or maybe your goal was to quit smoking, or or maybe your goal was something else, but I feel like we've all done the same thing. And to be honest, I'm not really sure that New Year's resolutions are necessarily Christian. I mean, there's this idea that we think we have that if we just have a little can-do attitude, if we just put a little elbow grease into it, if we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, then we can do anything. And that really doesn't speak to the dependence that we have on God and on Christ our Savior. And so today I want to talk a little bit about Christ for a change. I want to invite you to do something— If you've made a New Year's resolution, I want to invite you to give it up. I mean, statistically speaking, you're very unlikely to accomplish it anyways, and and this might save you a a lot of guilt and and other things. So I would invite you now just to, to give it up. But whether or not you've made a New Year's resolution or not, maybe you've given them or not, but whatever you've done, I'm going to invite you to make a spiritual resolution this evening. I want to invite you, and feel free to write this down, I want to invite you to develop a dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. To develop a dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. I feel like that's something that we can all strive to do. No matter where you are in your spiritual walk, we can all do this. Maybe you've never made a profession of faith before. This is still something that you might be encouraged to consider, whether at the end of this service, at the end of this sermon series, or at some point in your life, you would consider to develop a dependent relationship on Jesus Christ, because that's something that will truly change you. So maybe you've never made a profession of faith before, or maybe you're the oldest Christian in this room. Maybe you were raised in the church, and and maybe you were baptized as a young person, or even as an infant, and 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 you never wavered in your faith, and you just grew up reading the Bible and praying all the time, and and maybe you're that kind of Christian, you still have an ability to become more dependent on Jesus Christ. This is something that we all have an opportunity to do. So the question becomes, what's keeping you? To understand this, we have to go back to our passage that we read just a little bit earlier. The passage was from Acts chapter 8. Just to give you a little bit of backstory, Philip... Um, this is Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Disciple. Uh, Philip the Evangelist was chosen in the book of Acts chapter 6 uh, when, when all the disciples were sitting around and realized there was more ministry to be done, and so they chose some more people. Philip was one of those people, and he's many times called Philip the Evangelist to dis- differ himself from Philip the Disciple who followed Jesus. So Philip is told by an angel of the Lord to go and to travel on the road between Gaza and Jerusalem. Now, there are two roads between Gaza and Jerusalem. One road is the populated path. It runs through the major cities. More people travel by this way. It's safer because there are more people there to see a crime. If anything happens, it's the better way to travel. Philip is called to go through the wilderness, the second path that travels through the mountains, that travels in the back roads. This is the path that people take who don't want to be seen by society. This is the path taken by the outsiders and by the outcasts. Philip goes by this road and he travels from Gaza to Jerusalem and it's there that he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch who's a member of the court of Candace who's the queen of Ethiopia. Now this eunuch has maimed himself so that he can work in the court to ensure that he won't be a threat to the king when he works with the queen as he goes about doing uh, the errands and and running these things for the queen Candace of Ethiopia. And so he's maimed himself, and, and as shocking as that might be to us, it was appalling to the people around him that many people who are around him cast him out said he couldn't be a part of their society, that he could only exist in the king's court and there and nowhere else. And so here he is traveling the back roads from Gaza to Jerusalem so that no one will see him. And Philip runs into him. And Philip sees him reading the book of Isaiah. Philip asks him if he knows what he's reading and, and the man invites him onto the chariot. And they read this passage together. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? The man and Philip read this passage together, and then we come to the question that we read just a little bit earlier. The eunuch asks, about whom does this man speak, about himself or about Another. And Philip began to tell him the good news of Jesus Christ. He began to describe to him the things that Jesus did, that he was foretold in the prophets, that he came and lived among us, that he was both fully God and fully human, that he died not for his sins, but for ours, that when we die, we might have eternal life. After Philip got done telling him the good news, their chariot passed by a body of water. And the eunuch pointed at the body of water, and he said, is there anything that would keep me from being baptized? Is there anything that would keep me from being baptized? Now, in the book of Acts, it doesn't say that Philip said anything. It simply describes how they ordered the chariot to stop, that they went and baptized the man, that after that, Philip was taken up into heaven and, and went out to do more ministry, and that the man went away rejoicing after he was baptized. But I wonder if in that moment, after that question, is there anything that would keep me from being baptized? I wonder if in that moment Philip paused. And that his mind went racing. Because, yes, there might be some things that would keep him from being baptized. The fact that he is a eunuch is a major problem for the Jewish people at this time. The book of Deuteronomy explicitly states that this man is not allowed into the community known as the people of Israel, that, that he's because of what he's done to his body, because of this thing, he's not allowed into the people. I wonder if in that moment, when the question came, is there anything that would keep me if Philip thought, yes, because of what you've done to your body. but I don't think that's really the problem. We as people many times focus on the problem rather than than the solution. We focus on the problem rather than the solution many times, and we fail to see it, and then many times it's to our detriment. I have a a clip I want to show just to kind of highlight this fact. The clip is taken from um, a movie called Patch Adams. Maybe you've seen it. Um, it's with Adam's, uh, not. It's with uh, Robin Williams, and uh, this clip is um, a segment. Patch is admitted into um, the psychiatric ward of a hospital, and it's there that he meets a man named Albert Mendelssohn, who's a renowned genius in his time, and Albert is also a patient at this hospital, and, and he's been running up to people and holding up four fingers, saying, "How many fingers do you see?" And they say, four, and he he yells at them and says, four, ah, and, and he walks away. Well, Patch is very interested in this, and so he goes and has this conversation with Albert. Let us watch this together. See what the whole world chooses not to see, whether out of fear, conformity, or laziness. Look beyond the problem look beyond the problem and see the whole world anew, maybe even for the first time. And many times we set these New Year's resolutions and we focus solely on the problem. And, and we get this narrow vision and all we can see is this one thing and we fail so many times. I think there's a reason for that. Because we focus in on this problem. I. I've I've come to think that our brains are the laziest organ ever. Our, our brains are constantly trying to work less and less. That many times we create these habits without ever thinking about it. You ever, you ever driven somewhere? And then when you got to that place, you've realized that you can't remember how you got there? It's because your brain is creating a habit of driving. Your brain has created this habit of driving so that you can just check out. Your brain can... Stop working, work on this lower level so that you don't have to think about anything. Our brains are constantly doing that to us. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. That in everything we do, our souls are being shaped one way or another. That even in these habits that we create, sometimes unknowingly we can hurt our very souls. And so sometimes we try to fix our souls And again, we start focusing on the problem. But again, we fall short. John Ortberg writes in his book, *The Me, I Want to Be, that many times when we consider the state of our souls, we ask ourselves questions about the results of our spirituality. We ask ourselves how early we're waking up in the morning to read the Bible or how long we're spending in silent prayer. He said those aren't really the questions to be asking when we're considering the state of our souls. He said if we really wanted to consider the state of our souls, we might ask ourselves, how often are we being irritated? How often are we being discouraged? He says that, that will get to your soul. But when we start focusing on the problem, we start focusing on how early we have to get up in the morning so that we can read the Bible, how long we have to have to pray in silence. When we can't do these things, we start thinking that the problem with our spirituality is that we, well, we like sleep too much, or maybe that we have short attention spans. But that's not the problem. The problem is that many times we don't want to create a dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. I want you to do something. If if you've written a note, I want you to underline dependent. I want you to underline relationship. That this is the thing that Christ invites us to. That this is the thing that Christ wants from us we don't just read the Bible because we want to read the Bible. We don't just pray because we, we want to pray. These aren't things in and of themselves. These are results of our spirituality. Paul tells us that if we did these things, we wouldn't be doing them for the right reasons. He writes in the book of 1 Corinthians these words. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's about the relationship. With Christ, it's about loving both God and our neighbors, that those are the things that we really care about, that when we do those things, that the, the disciplines, the, the reading of our Bibles, praying, fasting, coming to worship all of those things come out of that love. That many times we've failed to look beyond the problem to actually see the solution. And all of us can do this thing. All of us can create this dependent relationship on Jesus Christ no matter where we are in our spiritual life. All of us can move closer to Christ. John Wesley calls this perfection. John Wesley was the founder of our Methodist movement. He lived in the 1700s. He was an Anglican priest. And in this time, he, he often encouraged Christians to be perfect. And it sounds kind of like a lofty goal, but John Wesley believed that <clears throat> We would never stop erring. We would, we would never be omniscient beings. We would never know as much as God knows. But Wesley says that God's forgiveness is perfect. God forgives us totally of every sin that we've ever committed. God forgives us perfectly. And then because God has forgiven us perfectly, God encourages, to go, encourages us to go out and to sin no more. Wesley says it's in in that encouragement, it's in that encouragement to go out and to sin no more that we might be made perfect. John Wesley read this passage out of the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this perfection or I've already reached the goal, he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Press on, Wesley says to become more dependent on Jesus Christ, to move closer to Jesus Christ, to develop this relationship with Jesus Christ. And you might be made perfect. So the question is, what's keeping you? Because it's not that you like sleep too much or that you have a short attention span. What's keeping you from this dependent relationship on Jesus Christ? It might be trust. You might ask yourself, when was the last time that I really trusted God with my life? When was the last time that I did something that was in total trust of God? The thing standing in your way might be self-reliance. Many times us living in Edmund having the benefits that we have believe that we are self-reliant We believe that we can do things on our own, that we don't really need God's help, that we can come and worship once a week simply because it makes us feel good, that we really don't need God to interfere in our life. But Christ doesn't just ask for a little of our lives. Christ asks for all of our lives. Christ invites us to a dependent relationship on him. The question is, What's keeping you? Because here's the truth. No matter what it is, it's nothing in the light of Christ. Then when the Ethiopian eunuch pointed off the chariot, pointed at the body of water and said, what's keeping you? No matter how many things went through Philip's head, in the end, the answer was Nothing. That no matter how many things rush to our heads, whenever the question comes, what's keeping us from having a dependent relationship on Christ? No matter whether whether it's fear, whether it's trust, whether it's dependence, no matter what it is, there is nothing that stands in front of Christ. That no matter what it is, Christ invites us to this relationship. Whatever it is, Christ stands in front of us and welcomes us with open and loving arms. And invites us to have this dependent relationship upon him. I hope you consider that whether you've never made a profession of faith before in your life. Or whether you're the oldest Christian in this room. To have dependence upon him. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's Wesley's Covenant's Prayer. It's written in your notes. i want to invite you to take these notes home. To put them somewhere you, where you might see them each and every day. That you might pray this prayer each and every morning or each and every evening. That this prayer speaks of our dependence upon Jesus Christ. Methodists have been saying this prayer on the first weekend of worship after New Year's. For as long as I can remember, I think it's been centuries. And as we pray this prayer, I hope that you invite Christ in your life again. That you might develop that dependence upon him once more. Will you pray with me? I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we are yours. We come before you this evening wanting to be filled up with your word. God, there are many times that we try to go it alone. There are many times that we try to be self-reliant, where we try to be independent, Lord, but we pray that today you would break us, that you would make us dependent upon you, that each and every day when we rise, Lord, that we would know that it's because of you that we live on this earth. It is because of you that we rise in the morning, Lord. It is because of you that the sun came up. We pray that we would live our life for you, that this evening as we consider what is keeping us from that relationship, Lord, that we would realize that ultimately it is nothing in light of your love and of your grace. God, we thank you so much for that love who came in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived and breathed among us, and who even taught us how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done